We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now, on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Well, I'm here with my good friend, William Boyle, the author of such wonderful books as Shoot the Moonlight Out, City of Margins, A Friend is a Gift You Give Yourself, The Lonely Witness, and many others. Thank you so much for joining me, Bill. How are you doing? Oh, thanks for having me back, Jen. It's always always great to talk to you. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Doing well. Yeah, we were talking off air that this time of year with the holidays, everything is really chaotic and stuff just yeah (laughs) yeah we think we have we're on top of everything and then more stuff happens so yeah exactly that's that's kind of the frame of mind I've I've been in for the last couple of weeks so it was nice to uh, take a break and just sit down with this movie and really really revisit it for the first time in a long time and think about it yeah I know this was probably we're talking about the night of the iguana which is based on the Tennessee Williams play and it was directed by John Huston. I don't think I had seen the film in probably like 20 some years, I would say since probably I was a teenager. Yeah, exactly. So what did you think of it? Uh, Well, first off, I was glad you you invited me on to talk about it because I had no idea that Warner Archive had released this Blu-ray. I mean, I I think it just came out like this, you know, a couple of weeks ago or last week or whatever. So yeah. I was excited just to to pick it up and and um, revisit it. Um, and you know, it actually also ran, I noticed it also ran on Turner Classic Movies just last night because um, oh, did it? That's crazy. Yeah, it, I guess it's maybe it's Ava Ava Gardner month, I think, or something. Mm. Um, so that was good timing. Um, but I, I had I had already ordered the Blu-ray and and was excited to check that out and. Um, I loved it. I mean, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I love Tennessee Williams. I love Johnny Houston. I yes. love David Gardner. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just, a, you know, I'm a sucker for this. I love, I love movies based on plays. I love, mm-hmm. you know, I love movies about, you know, broken people just breaking down for two hours. So, you know, yes. this is just right up, right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. Every way. 
Exactly. I know. I I didn't know this was coming out either. Uh, they were kind enough to send me the disc. And I was thinking, you know, who do I know that would be really probably the right person for it? And I thought of you right away. So I was excited. Yeah, Tennessee Williams was probably my first playwright when I was young. I think yeah. even when I didn't really know what's going on, because sometimes he could be pretty surrealistic and, you know, yeah. you're not really sure what you're seeing. And it is it real or you're hearing these crazy stories i mean suddenly last summer is nuts um you know you hear what happens in some of these um and you're not sure what is literal what is figurative what is he really getting at i think though just the idea of these people confronting each other the great accents so many of them with the southern yeah. accents that we think of with you know streetcar named desire and cat on a hot tin roof and all of that and then, of course, all the lust. You got to have lust if you're talking about um, <laughs> Tennessee Williams. And, you know, and John Houston has that whole, I guess, haunted Catholic thing happening. And oh, yeah. So, but in this, it's Episcopalian. He's Richard Burton plays a man who's been defrocked. He'd had a fling with a, a younger woman, and um, he's like, you know, in trouble and he has a breakdown in church at the beginning. And it's just, yeah. you know, it's Richard Burton just chewing scenery, which is <laughs> marvelous. Yeah. It really is. That opening scene is so good. Um, it is. Yes. It's such a great entry point into the movie. And he, yeah, he is. He's, I mean, it's, there's a lot of dark comedy in it, I think, yes. too, which, which I really appreciated more, I'd say, this, this time. And I did when I watched it, you know, probably last time I saw it, I was a teenager. So it, it, it's been 25 or 30, yeah. maybe even 30 years. So I think, you know, for me, a lot of my early viewing was, you know, was classics kind of based on play. You know, I was watching once I think I watched uh, Streetcar Named Desire. I think I was trying to see all that, yeah. all the Tennessee Williams stuff. So I saw it somewhere in that in that run early on and, and i really yeah i really appreciated that this time um definitely some great scenery chewing all mm. across the board not just not no just Bert, not at all really yeah. everybody everybody's yeah. yeah just eating it up it's so yeah it's, it's so many good performances too i mean Ava, no. yeah, for me it's ava gardner's movie exactly above all. against uh, type so good yeah she's incredible just incredible in it and it's just you know just i love that character i love yeah, Hello. such a John yeah. Houston character, like a ballsy dame. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's it's perfect. And I love, you know, I love John Houston. I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about just what an incredible adapter he is. I mean, you know, anytime anybody ever talks about, you know, the the movies, the movie's not as good as the book. It, you know, which is such a kind of cliched thing to say. All you had to do is throw John Huston's filmography at them, which yes. is just like incredible adaptation after incredible adaptation, and 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 obviously it applies not just to novels, which he was incredibly adept at adapting, but also plays. Um, and and you know this is this is just a uh, I, for me, I think it's one of my favorite. Well, you know, play adaptations because it is. A, it is. I think it's harder probably to adapt a play into a movie than a novel, because plays are inherently more, you know, stagey and 
confined and yeah um so it can be a difficult task and it's just so um even though it's i mean it's not one location i guess the second half of the movie is one location for the most part but um or maybe but it's it a little breathes. bit more yeah yeah it really does and it's so visually like uh, just rich i mean just that that early shot i think it's the first shot of him after the credits maybe where he's sitting outside that church and um He's got the, you know, the the bottle that he stuffs in the hole in the wall. Just so many great details like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just just uh, yeah. It's, I thought it was, I thought it was beautiful. I mean, it looks, you know, the Blu-ray looks beautiful. I mean, it's gorgeously, it really it's gorgeously shot. And, um, just yeah, I mean, Ava Gardner, Deborah. Kerr. Ava Gardner, yeah, she is amazing in it. And you know Deborah Carr, Deborah Kerr. Not sure technically. Yeah, I know. Name. I never. I always screw that up. Yeah, yeah. I've heard it both ways, and I don't know. I think you're. I think it looks like. I think that's one of those instances where it looks like Kerr, but it's it is Carr. You said it right. I think. I'm not sure. So forgive us if we're saying it wrong, but she <laughs> is great here yeah. because she's playing somebody who's a painter who's looking after her poet father. There's a little bit of a grifter element or they're kind of, you know, she's a woman who's been very sexually repressed and taking care of her father. And, you know, is she sort of is this her last hope at a man, essentially, Richard Burton for basically all the babes want Richard (laughs) Burton in this movie. It's, you know, that's what happens. No, but, uh, and I've heard about the drama that was going on. I guess he was bringing Elizabeth Taylor onto the set. This is right before they were married. And so I guess there was a lot of animosity and drama going on that I'm sure is in all the Burton diaries and stuff you can read about. But, you know, they were professional. They're great. And uh, he has really good chemistry with um, all of them. Different chemistry for each one, I think, as you would need. And uh, yeah. yeah, they're all good. They are. Yeah. I was just, there's a little like uh, 10 minute featurette um, on the making of the movie on the Blu ray that I just watched a few minutes ago. That's really, because I think people thought it was going to be a really explosive set because it was just all these people kind of who were mm-hmm. their you know, personality types. Yeah. Were, larger I mean. than life. <laughs> yeah. And, and R- Richard Burton had Elizabeth Taylor with him throughout and, and Ava Gardner, I guess was very kind of unsure of things. And, and Houston loved, they're saying in this, in this feature, right. That Houston just loved more than anything to kind of put people out of their comfort zone. So he was filming. That was his thing. Yeah. Yeah. He was filming in this, you know, remote location that was mm-hmm. really, really had people, but it wound up being a really um pretty smooth shoot, I think, from from the account they gave in this in this yeah. uh, documentary anyway, despite the fact that it was like, you know, a lot of a lot of Maybe big some, personalities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I read and somewhere the, else. I don't know if it's true or not. I read, maybe it was just on Letterboxd or somewhere that Deborah Carr and Sue Lyon had asked for it to be a dry set, and and Houston like oh, built wow. bars. Built he built bars on the set, so there people were just drinking. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's <laughs> true. Or that's just hearsay. But it sounds like there's so like, much legend with Houston, and and he's yeah. somebody who because I did actually I kicked off this season uh, with an episode right, with yeah. our our good buddy Sean Cosby on John Houston, and I read like multiple 
accounts and different books and and even in interviews like in one oh everything was great bogart and i and you know (laughs) and then the next one well that son of a bitch you know and you can kind of hear the john houston voice and so he kind of enjoys sort of embellishing tales and and all of that and it's so much fun to to think about the john houston character and these sort of misfits which he loves so much um yeah and it's it's just it's a great one. I also really loved the actress playing Judith Fellows, Charlotte's oh, chaperone, yeah. Grace and Hall. Yeah. Like, what a good character actress. She's yeah. playing a woman who is accusing this sort of, Sue Lyon is essentially playing Lolita again, um, accusing actually Richard Burton of being like a James Mason and going after this young girl. And let's face it, he is interested, but she is definitely the aggressor in this uh, situation. And, you know, there's stuff in the dialogue that's kind of revealed that she is herself probably sexually attracted to this young woman and can't, you know, if she ever realized that it would be devastating. And I thought her portrayal was very good too, because she has to play all yeah. these different layers. Yeah. She is, she is great. I mean, and she's in a, you know, she's in a large hunk of the movie. She doesn't mm-hmm. disappear for a long time. She is. I mean, she's, you know, it's a deeply annoying character. Yes. In a lot of ways, but she, does it really, <laughs> she really hangs well. tough with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some great lines and some great, I mean, those, those really, Tense scenes, I think. I mean, I thought there were tense scenes on the bus of them just oh, yeah. like, singing, you know, singing. <laughs> it's a little creepy, yeah. Hover, yeah, it's re- that, that's kind of. T- there's some kind of, like I said, there's some dark comedy in it, but there's also yeah. some kind of like you know psychological horror elements yeah. or something. Um, that to me is just I I can't Im- imagining yourself into kind of you know the, the their Burton or or Sue Lyons characters shoes in that in that bus scenario just with all these old <laughs> old Texas you know Baptist women just Bible singing bumping. yeah yeah <laughs> like uh whatever you know these yeah. kind of joyful fake joyful songs really really terrifying but she yeah she's great she's great <laughs> yes oh 100% so what other um adaptations did you like of Tennessee Williams that you think I mean of course Streetcar is iconic we know that oh have any other Um, favorites this is up there for sure what else what else I'm trying to think of what else I really love um I mean you haven't seen Cat on a Hot Tin Roof in a long time but I I remember liking it a lot and I do too yeah Isaac Butler made me want to rewatch it again because he's like you know you're you liked paul newman in that the accent and so isaac was was uh as an actor and a theater director and a veteran he kind of had some issues with the performance (laughs) that was making me think maybe you know rose colored oh it's paul newman shirtless for two hours he's wonderful but uh so (laughs) isaac was kind of like you know now that you're in oh like a grown woman go back and watch it again and so yeah. we'll have to do that at some point but yeah when I, I was younger i, I loved it i mean yeah I mean, same here i haven't revisited that one in a long time nor have i revisited baby doll in a long time which i actually remember liking oh yeah a, that's a good very amount. good um but i think probably you know i mean i love um we're both big sydney lamette fans i love the fugitive kind is is you know 
yeah uh, up there for me um and i love anna uh magnani um so i mean i, I you know i know the rose tattoo gets a bad rap but i, I kind of remember i mean ma- mainly because i love her so much i think remember liking some things about that um but yeah i mean that's certainly you know the like the my introduction to Tennessee Williams was, was through these adaptations for the most part. Um, yeah, I think I maybe read streetcar in high school before I saw it, but Mm -hmm. other than that, you know, I wasn't seeing them performed on stage. I was seeing them predominantly, you know, the film adaptations. Um, but I do love him. And and like I said, I love John Houston. I mean, you know, just my friend, um, Jackson Darvis and I were talking last night about, you know, the fact that I don't think there was a Houston movie on that, that sight and sound list. And he's just one of the great, like great, underrated, great directors. You know, I mean, he's just got so many, so many good movies and maybe too many good movies, I guess. Maybe that's, that's part of why he doesn't yeah. show up on a list like that. Um, that. There's just so many good ones to choose from that you could, you could go a lot of different directions uh, with him. Yeah, um, you really could. Different periods. Like, are you yeah. talking about the Fat City, Pritzy's Honor period? Are you talking about Key Largo, Maltese yeah. Falcon, that kind of? Exactly. Yeah, Treasure of Sierra just, Madre, of course. Just, wow. Yeah, and I just, actually, just a couple of weeks ago, I rewatched Moulin Rouge, which is, I think is brilliant. Yes, he was very maybe, proud of that one. Yeah. Might be, might be, you know, up there as one of my top three or four of his. And, and um, so it's interesting to see him kind of, you know, I mean, this is this is clearly like him, just in com- total command of of mm-hmm. every. You know, I mean, just at the peak of his. I mean, you know, and I I love later stuff. I love Fat City's. You know, whatever it maybe eight years after this or so. Um, so, um, I guess that's kind of the beginning of of later later period Houston. Yeah. Um, but this feels like him. You know, he's in his late fifties at this point. It just feels in total kind of total command just really really beautifully made beautifully shot and and i think i was also watching that feature like he had um i mean he's clearly somebody who respects writers and yes and he does love, yeah. you know you can see that in his adaptations and how he adapts the work and how faithful he is and how he's mm-hmm. trying to get it kind of the soul of of the, the book or the play um but he also apparently you know had tennessee williams also on the set um oh, throughout the making of this for a lot of it and and um you know was was asking him to to contribute like during the process and i what they said in this documentary anyway is that um tennessee williams wrote that great broken glass scene kind of on mm-hmm. the spot like wow. Houston said they needed they needed another scene they needed something and and tennessee williams went back to his room and wrote that in one night um, the symbolism which, yeah, yeah come to life yeah such a great scene maybe you know one of my I, I, probably my favorite non Ava Gardner scene in the movie mm-hmm. it, you know that's such a you know again you, you said it at the beginning and, and we kind of always wind up talking about stuff that feels especially Catholic <laughs> haunted or whatever yeah even though this is again you know he's not mm-hmm. technically a Catholic priest but um close enough yeah. catholic light um catholic light yes <laughs> <laughs> and they're in yeah. mexico which is such a you know yes. such a heavily catholic 
iconography mm-hmm. around them and just presence in the air. So, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, beautifully made. And, you know, there's some, some shots, I think in particular of, of Ava Gardner, just like close-ups of her that are just mm-hmm. kind of etched into my mind. Now I can't stop thinking about like that shot of her on the beach late in the movie. Just, um, Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Very much. Yeah. When I was reading about this, I saw a quote from James Garner, which was, he was offered the role that Richard Burton took on, oh, but yeah. he said he declined it because quote, it was just too Tennessee Williams for me. <laughs> and uh, I think that is the deal with the night of the iguana is it is very Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah there's that's no a, getting around it. Yeah. I mean, if that that's a hundred percent accurate and that like, there's, I don't know if there's too much Tennessee Williams for me. No. Like so that, 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 mm-hmm. you know, if somebody described it that way to me, I'd, I'm just totally on board. It's, We're it's there. Everything you want. First yeah. day. Yep. Yeah. First row, everything you first want day. Melodrama, just, you know, people just a little bit of a little bit of humor and and um just a lot of a lot of opportunities as we said for for scenery chewing and a lot of good sweat in this movie too it's a really sweaty movie it really is yeah <laughs> sweat is another thing you get lust you get sweat yeah <laughs> exactly it's all I mean, there burton, burton really looks like he i mean i don't i feel like this is not maybe a performance in a lot of ways, yeah. you know, I mean, it really feels like <laughs> he is sweating through something in this, in this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, very sweaty, <laughs> very sweaty and very good. Well, Bill, yeah. I want to thank you so much for watching the movie again. It was for both of us watching it again, probably since, yep we're pretty close in the same age. So would have been like 25 years or so ago yeah, for, yeah. for the both of us, essentially. So thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. And with me today, I have Sheila O'Malley, who's one of my favorite writers working currently. She is a brilliant critic and blogger. You can catch her writing over at her own site, The Sheila Variations, which I love. And then also uh, RogerEber.com and elsewhere because she is a freelancer. And I always look forward to her work, especially about acting and Elvis. And so it's perfect we have her here. Yes. How are you, Sheila? I was so excited to get this particular request. I was like, Blue Hawaii? I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have a ton. Um, yes. But um, so where should we start? Oh, it, it's tough. Well, I should let the listeners know that there is a new edition from Paramount called Paramount Presents, and it is a 4K release. So it comes with the 4K version and the Blu-ray version, plus a digital uh, code. So you can watch it digitally in 4K as well. And it looks magnificent, which is good because this is the first of three movies he made in Hawaii and it's just you know it's beautiful to look at a weird movie and uh yeah we'll get into that so what are your thoughts on Blue Hawaii um so I'm just going to start by saying in 2018 I was a juror at um Indie Memphis Film Festival which is one of my favorite film festivals um and Miriam Bale who was the artistic director or programming director said well while you're here we might as well have you do some kind of talk on Elvis so this was like a week before I was like 
oh, you know. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, well, let's let's talk about his movie career because nobody wants to talk about the movie career. The music critics yeah. really are just angry that it happened at all. And film <laughs> just, you know, they don't, they, just um, it. they totally, just, like Roger Ebert said, um, and he, you know, Mm-hmm. I work for Roger, so it's you know, yeah. um, and Chaz. But um, he said, you know, we never made a good movie, and that's just not true. You no. just have to see all of them. There are many, many good movies now. Blue Hawaii. So anyway, during this talk, when we had clips and all this kind of stuff, that I, you know, this is not like a new thought, but it seems like in Elvis's, he made like thirty-one movies in ten years. Oh my gosh! And yeah. It was a factory and mm-hmm. well known for hating every movie that he ever made, but we don't have to agree with him. You know, he's Mm-mm. not the boss, you know. <laughs> um, so for that talk, I was like, well, it seems like there are three separate phases. There's, I would call it pre, it's really pre Blue Hawaii, but it's like there's the four movies he made before he went into the army, mm-hmm. um, which are all very good. Yeah. You know, and then he made about three or four movies when he came back, 1960, and they're all like actually really good, but they did not make any money. So there's Flaming Star, which is Don oh, that Siegel. was good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only a theme song; he doesn't sing in it, and he's wonderful in it. Um, there's Wild in the Country, which my is favorite, very strange movies at times, but like Clifford Odets wrote the script, and yeah. Um, Hope Lang, like he had Tuesday Weld, he had great yes. co-stars. And then there's Follow That Dream, which is a completely forgotten film. Oh, the Florida one. The Florida one. Yeah, Tom uh, Petty loved it. He was like a child on the um he saw he was yeah. like saw Elvis get out of a car and it like rocked his world. Um yeah. So, but they didn't make any money. Nobody wanted to see Elvis not sing, and so then came Blue Hawaii, which was 1961. <laughs> so if you think about that, he so he made three movies when he came back from the army. And Blue Hawaii was the thing. It was a smash hit. It had a ton of songs in it. Um, yeah. And they are bad. Um, I Can't Help Falling in Love with You, which is one of his biggest hits, is in it. Mm-hmm. And it, the soundtrack was a massive money-making hit. And so what ended up happening is, well, let's just make Blue Hawaii over and over and over again, yes. just in locations. We're going to have Elvis be a race car driver or a pilot, as well as a moonlighting singer. They're unique cultural artifacts where they're impossible mm-hmm. to imagine without Elvis. And the only kind of comparison I can make, and I could be, I'm open to correction, is like the Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis movies which make no sense without them they're designed for them they you can't they are are irreplaceable um so I think you know many of the Elvis movies really are not up up you know in that caliber but they make he single-handedly justifies their existence whether they're good or bad he's always good in them I think oh yeah um, so Blue Hawaii was a massive it started his sort of relationship with hawaii he loved going there Mm -hmm. um he gave a fundraiser in i think in 1960 61 that um basically funded the pearl harbor memorial 
Um, yes, I read that for the Arizona. The, yep. Yeah. And if you go there, there's no plaque that says it. I spoke to the well, tour. Is there a plaque? And she said, no. But I'll tell you that um, maintenance of this memorial, see, I'm going to cry. Maintenance of this memorial, like the majority of it comes from Elvis fans around the world who just send money to maintain. And that's amazing. So I was like, well, give the man a plaque maybe for funding yeah. this thing. Um, anyway, so Blue Hawaii, you know, compared to some of the sort of mid-late 60s is very well made. Um, I think it's the first collaboration with Norman Tarog, who was the director, and he ended up directing the majority of what we would call sort of the Elvis formula movies, which is Elvis in Seattle, Acapulco, mm -hmm. you know, participating in race car driving and you know, yeah. whatever so many um, of those speedway Elvis, and all of those yes yes and those i i think they're very sort of underrated you know they're surreal movies and you have to adjust to what their rules of the game you yeah. can't get irritated at how weird these movies are i mean you the ones where he plays twins and yeah exactly well, that one i wish never happened um, <laughs> uh, that one is not good i mean there's many that are are like you, I, I get you like angry, you know, they just <laughs> for granted and like clam bake. Like there are a couple ones where you can really see him almost rolling his eyes. It's not like yes. he enjoyed making these, but um, I think he had fun in Blue Hawaii. He does. He almost breaks a couple times. Like when yeah. he's with Angela Lansbury and when he's with, um, <laughs> I'm blanking on the actor playing his boss. You can see him like almost yes. breaking it's great yeah he's surrounded by these kooky yes. character actors who are doing outrageous mugging really i mean angela lansbury i think she was only like seven years older than him or i know, know. she and like she, wandered um, over from a tennessee williams set i mean that's kind of how she's acting she's great yes she's like a transplanted drunk southern belle yes who somehow has social aspirations um and doesn't want him hanging out with the surfing locals and yeah um, there's a little maybe racism there we don't know yeah yeah like it is is yes i mean you know they're clearly they own i think the pineapple yes. business right mm -hmm. so they're sort of the yeah i mean it's completely not a commentary on it it's just reflecting kind of oh yeah the reality of it but um so yeah and he he kind of comes home for no apparent I mean a lot of it is for no apparent reason like he yeah comes military home, yeah. military he immediately he doesn't even go home right away he hangs out with his like girl who's been waiting the whole time yeah gets off the plane kissing someone else you know I mean, that's always fun yeah exactly like you're <laughs> I, I have had no you know action while you were gone because why would I you're Elvis right? um and then, yeah, and then he goes home and there's all these, all this pressure on him. He, yep. like, gets a job as a tour guide. He's the worst tour guide. I mean, but at the same that time, makes me like, laugh. Like, if so bad. boyfriend was Elvis, would you be like, you know, the guy who should be in charge of all these beautiful teenage girls and this, my boyfriend, right? <laughs> who is, who literally, yeah. And, and then his, his way, well, he takes them out to the pineapple farm, 
but then he's like come and come to my gig that's my favorite one that's my favorite like I'm you're here in Hawaii (laughs) for a couple days why don't you come see my gig um it's just (laughs) ridiculous and the movie does not question it yeah it's just what it is and of course they all fall madly in love with him and the one who is most like cranky is the one who's most in love with him you know it's um, yeah uh and then he spanks her he spanks her. yeah it's very mcclintock it's like what (laughs) and i think she she is horrified but also she loves it she's the only one who gets spanked she she discovers something about herself and then the next morning she's like bubbly and it's like okay we're gonna see her in secretary no i'm just kidding yeah no again no like this is a tour guide that's i just kept going yeah it's a tour guide it's uh yeah and um <laughs> and he's not going to end up with her it's not like there are any stakes that's the other weird thing about these movies yeah. and um is that you know the stakes are super low you can feel you know in some like viva las vegas has legit stakes um mainly because he was partnered with ann margaret who was his best co-star and actually oh yeah you know i mean she plays hard to get for like five seconds but um mm-hmm. it's not about him pursuing her it's just about these two charming people having fun on screen yeah, and, just um, enjoying each other mm-hmm. enjoying each other it's like god you know if if they they just did you know in general the powers that be which would be Hal Wallace who was yep. contract and Tom Parker they just didn't want him to have competition so like mm-hmm. you know in Blue Hawaii there really isn't like one girl there's like eight yeah you know it's not mm-hmm. a in Viva Las Vegas there's only the one. And that just yep. is part of the, that was the break in the formula. Um, I, you know, when you watch Viva Las Vegas and think, God, if, if it was a different universe, they would have made like five or six movies together, like in yeah. all of these different um, situations. Like there's no reason that that couldn't have happened, but in Blue no. and White, it really isn't. Yeah, it could have been like Ben Crosby and Bob Hope, essentially, or Martin and Lewis. It could have been. Yeah. Exactly. Which Hal Cantor, who wrote this, um, wrote a lot of those Bob Hope movies. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think he also wrote Loving You, which is Elvis's second movie. And he was kind of like, you know, let's see what's happening with this. What what is going on with this Elvis guy? You know, so loving, Loving You is kind of a very Hollywood version of the explosion of basically what would become like youth culture, you know, mm-hmm. that was kind of, you know, knocked down the door to like screaming teenagers. And um, so they wrote, you know, this, it, it's very, um, you know, it's Elvis light. Um, yes. loving, but Cantor was at least interested in, enough in the, phenomenon to try to you know he went and saw Elvis in concert and wrote wrote the script based on what he saw and stuff like that so I think he um yeah and this got a Writers Guild of America nomination actually for best screenplay musical which is interesting yeah it is I don't know how many musicals we were making in in 1961 (laughs) but you know what he got a nomination I mean because the songs 
are actually, you know, for Elvis movies, I mean, the quality of songs went down. Oh, yeah. You know, but these the are great. You have the Jordan Airs, too. And Jordan uh, um, I'm just looking at some of the Moonlight Swim. I mean, you know, let's yeah. not, you know, get it twisted. I It would have been great if Elvis had been cutting better songs in the 60s and not having to sing Moonlight Swim. But yeah. um, they aren't Beach Boy Blues. I mean, it's you know yeah you know what are you gonna do it happens but um but there's some good stuff in here for sure yeah yeah and the soundtrack just did so well my grandma um, had the record when I was little this was one of the did. first records I remember seeing she had all the Elvis um records and movie records but for whatever reason I don't know it must have had a really beautiful cover I vividly remember her record for Blue Hawaii yeah I love that yeah. she still had it like her same Version? yes she yeah. still had that one uh -huh. oh i i don't know i think um my uncle wound up like selling them all or whatever i was so mad because i would have treasured it but of but, course yeah. yes yeah. yes so mm -hmm. it, it's almost like blue hawaii was like the golden handcuffs you know if, if it hadn't been that biggest they were looking for the they were looking for like what kind of material can we put him in he mm -hmm. or what kind of material would people accept him and he was a unique star he yeah he wasn't you couldn't really I mean you could have but people aren't going to go see Elvis in a ensemble film or you know mm -hmm. a straight drama or any of those things um which you can you can see him and see how good he is in them yeah but, do you have you a know, favorite as far as your favorite Elvis film favorite i mean i think i would have to say king creole just because it's that's a very good one is that the one with um walter matthau matthau and oh and yeah curtis. that was wonderful you know, I mean, that's mm -hmm. the best director he ever worked with was michael curtis who did everything yeah casablanca. casablanca and so he he really and um Lieber and Stoller songs so true like bluesy like rhythm and blues songwriters um so you know fantastic music and performances in it um but also based on a best-selling book and uh yeah, i haven't watched you know, it in years i want to see it yeah, again though yeah again. and then there's um carolyn jones who is absolutely brilliant as kind of walter matthau's i mean prostitute basically he just sent okay. yeah. and then dolores hart who is now a nun who was oh um, that's right yeah kind of the girl who works at the dimes the nice girl she's the mm -hmm. nice girl so elvis is torn between the bad girl and the nice girl and they're both valid kind of options so it's um anyway i would say that's probably the best movie he made but like my favorites like i love some of the elvis formula movies like girl happy i just you'd have to be i just love girl happy um viva las vegas and then mm -hmm. there's a couple at the very end where nobody was paying attention anymore um, that are really good because the formula starts to break apart. So I'm just going to mention Live a Little, Love a Little, okay. uh, which again, Norman Tarog directed that. And it's kind of a bringing up baby type story, like a woman in go-go boots and he's kind of a cranky workaholic and she has a huge dog that chases him around <laughs> and he only he sings he sings um 
a little less conversation in that, which was a massive hit oh, for them. Love that Other song. than that, yeah. there isn't it's not about um it's not an Elvis movie. It's a sexy comedy. Oh cool. That is completely unknown, which I don't know why. You should see that. You should mm-hmm. see it. Um yeah, I don't think I've seen before. that. So I'm gonna yeah. check that one out. For sure. Sometimes plays it. Um but anyway, I would say I like movies from all of the like I love the different eras yeah. from all the different eras and then in, then you get into sort of the mid late 60s and you have like um double trouble which is I mean it's almost unwatchable and <laughs> lion style Oof. yeah um, that one it just makes me angry you know <laughs> travel log Elvis has horrible songs in it he looks horrible and it's I it's just this is what you're doing with like this man who's yeah not even 30 yet I know it's crazy like I think he's only 26 when he made Blue Hawaii something like that yeah yeah oh no he would have been he would have yeah he's like late 20s and he just seems like a anyway so it's it's a weird it's a very strange career but Blue Hawaii was is if in many ways one of the most important because it sort of set the tone for what was to come um if it hadn't been such a hit they would have had to figure something else out you know but this was like oh we got to keep doing this you know mm-hmm. he perfectly i mean he was he was embarrassed at having to wear that bathing suit like he didn't like to show his body that was not his yeah thing. that bathing suit is really something I mean, it is so tight. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And, he, you know, and so he, he was never like, yeah, baby, let me show you my butt. Like, no. he just, <laughs> um, that was not his thing. So watching him like strolling around playing ukulele in those uh, shorts is a surreal. I, I think that people sometimes I feel like, okay, you can sort of dismiss this as stupid and him as just you can just, you know, you can go that route and I would not blame you, but I would say that it's what he's doing in a movie like Blue Hawaii is actually very difficult to do. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, imagine unironically, unironically wearing swim trunks like that, holding a ukulele, sitting on a, the side of a boat singing and beaming a smile and everybody is happy. And then it makes millions of dollars. Like mm-hmm. just, try, I, I want to, I mean, I've said this before in things I've written, just try to do that and see how easy you find it. So I couldn't just, imagine. Yeah. I, you know, to be like, to yeah. Try to be that comfortable arm and beauty to that degree and never be like, Hey, look at me. I'm so important. But, and yet he yeah. is. It's very, um, it's, I don't think he, I don't know, it's hard to know because he didn't really do that many interviews where he talked, where he was Mm -hmm. asked questions like this. We don't, we just know he didn't like making the movies he made. Yeah. But it'd be interesting, like, how did he conceive of what he was doing? Yeah. I wonder if anyone associated with the making of this wrote about it at all. I'd be curious. Yeah. yeah, With Angela Lansbury or his co-star who I heard he wanted to marry or was uh, pretty 
caught yeah, up with maybe. his co-star, but I think that happened a lot. Yes. Right. I'm sure she's yes. not the only one in the roster. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was always, he was always, you know, with quotes, falling in love with everybody. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, like he suited the material mm-hmm. of Hawaii could not take anything heavy. And so if he, it, it can't take it. It's too dumb and frivolous and yeah. it's to be entertaining, a nice way to spend at the drive-in. You, you have a good time. Boom. I mean, there really is not much to it. So if an actor went into it trying to reach for something or, or wink you know, at you yeah. or wink at you, it at all kind of fall apart. It really, yeah. and so he had a very light touch. He understood the, the humor, you know, and what the job that he is supposed to do. He's not supposed to be Marlon Brando. He's not supposed Mm-mm. to as much as he loved Marlon Brando. And yeah. James Dean and stuff. He, this is something else. And he was able to do it. Like when Hal Wallace signed him, he, and Hal Wallace had, I don't know if he discovered Errol Flynn, but I think he was like Errol Flynn's champion and you know trying to you know build this career of this kind of new sex symbol and he felt that Elvis's vibe was similar to that of Errol Flynn's just because again if you watch Errol Flynn in Robin Hood and try to picture walking across the soundstage like he does with throwing your head back and going yes (laughs) I mean, <laughs> I would be way too embarrassed, and Errol Flynn is not embarrassed. And no, feel to that, and a beauty to that. Mm-hmm. That you know, l- a light comedy. We don't really have those anymore. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's yeah. There's I- that line in Vanilla Sky of the last guyless girl, and that's why he falls for the Penelope Cruz uh, character. And it's like, yeah, somebody without guile and someone innocent because we don't really have that anymore and having yeah. to kind of play that yeah must have been yeah. really tricky yeah i'm trying to think of, of a contemporary kind of i don't know it's enchanted might be the last like amy adams and enchanted was kind of like that but but she was a little more head in the clouds even so a friend um, of mine wrote that by the way i just have to shout out bill kelly who was a friend of mine he wrote enchanted so oh it's such a fun movie theater. yeah um he wrote blast from the past as well just i love that yeah yes I, I know nobody talks about it anymore but it's so fun yeah yeah um yeah so you know i would say like watching any of these mm-hmm. maybe people las vegas you can pretty much watch without having to contextualize it no yeah but i think most elvis movies do require they didn't require context in the 60s but they do no. a bit now in the same way as watching a dean martin jerry lewis yep movie because their chemistry was just so of the moment and mm-hmm. you know a phenomenon that everybody was in on yeah you know, just like the hot thing and mm-hmm if you aren't aware of that, they could seem strange. Like I grew up because on those movies, cause they were playing on afternoon television. So I, Oh yeah. I remember watching those growing up. Yep. Context. Maybe cause I was just a kid, you know, mm-hmm. I was just 
accepting any absurd yeah. thing that was coming at me. But um, I hope yeah. your readers don't get on me or your listeners for my vocal fry. I can already feel the vocal fry comments coming. <laughs> Not at all. No, <laughs> I have very kind listeners, and um, I remember them loving your insights the last time we spoke. I got to have <laughs> you back in 2023 to. Yes. Uh, do yeah, we, we can either subject. do another uh, pre-code or any other topic you would like so love i it. love that um, absolutely yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much i'm just looking at my notes to see if i've said anything that i've missed anything i wanted to say here's something i wrote in my okay. just jotted down notes you cannot evaluate this like other movies it has its own rules you may not like the rules but you have to accept them yes exactly what you were just saying about context is perfect yeah you know because it's it's um I, I feel like like other like big singular stars um someone like John Wayne or something who you know justified the movies he was in because he was in them he was just a star whether the movie was good or bad you know but he was fitting into a genre that was bigger than him he was mm -hmm. fitting into a genre that was a western uh, he yeah. defined it and mm -hmm. you know but other people are doing westerns not anybody was doing blue hawaii not anybody no else. this was <laughs> its own thing for sure it wasn't pillow talk and it wasn't a musical it was kind of like mixed right yep. and you can't cast anybody else no in Hawaii, it just it makes no sense without the sort of charm and mm -hmm. singular quality of elvis um so yeah. yeah. Yep. You couldn't make it uh, today without somebody like that. You needed his, I guess, his popularity and his larger than life essence. And yeah, absolutely. Well, Sheila, I want to thank you so much for uh, elucidating uh, Blue Hawaii and sharing your Elvis knowledge. It's always such a pleasure. I had so much fun. I love talking to you. I yes, me too. Congratulations oh. on all your success. Thank you. And thank you for joining me. Of course. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.